Shalom and welcome again to another edition of Seekers of Meaning, the podcast and TV arm of Jewish Secret Aging. I am your host, Rabbi Richard Address. We welcome you. We thank you for your time in joining us today for what we hope is a very, very interesting conversation. Um, the end of May brought together some 300 individuals from the reform movement uh, at the Stephen S. Wise Synagogue in Manhattan. If you recall, uh, for those of you who are regular followers, us the Rabbi of the congregation, Rabbi Ami Hirsch, joined us on a Seekers of Meaning podcast in the spring to talk about the, the nature and the genesis and the why of this conference. Well, the conference was held, and we have with us today several of the organizers and, and participants in that conference. And we wanted to really take a look at, well, what happened? Uh, what's the future? Because the nature of the conference, entitled Recharging Reform Judaism, raised a significant number of questions over a two-day period. Uh, and we want to find out, really, given the nature of transition and uh, that's happening within the American Jewish community and the relationship of the Reform community and American community with Israel and what's happening in Israel, uh, lots of op opportunities for conversation. And we're joined by an all-star panel uh, today, and we thank them. Uh, very, very much. Uh, we want to welcome Rabbi Bennett Miller, the Emeritus Rabbi of Anshamath in New Brunswick, and one of the organizers uh, of this conference, Rabbi Jerry Newberg, um, a participant and one of the workshop leaders. She's the senior rabbi of Mainline Reform Temple in uh, Wynwood, Pennsylvania, Mark Anchin, uh, a major lay leader in the reform movement, an alum of the Union for Reform Judaism Board, past president of the Holy Blossom Temple in uh, Toronto, Canada and one of the organizers of this conference, and Rabbi Tracy Kaplowitz, the um, Marilyn G. and Joseph B. Schwartz um, Israel Fellow at Stephen S. Wise in Manhattan, and one of the key organizers on the team that put together the conference in the end of May. So welcome all of you. Um, it's um, technologically, we've done this uh, from all across the country, actually all across North America. Uh, so, so very, very much thanks uh, for your being here. Bennett, let me start with you. Uh, you are one of the key organizers of this conference. Um, give me a reaction real fast. When you, when you went home that uh, Thursday night, um, were you pleased? Well, I, I was very pleased. Um, uh, the fact that over 300, uh, mostly rabbis, but uh, rabbis, cantors, educators, lay leaders, uh, administrators all came together at the end of May. Not the best of time for people to leave their synagogues, um, that they came to New York at their own expense. Um, uh, tells us a lot about, uh, about the hunger and the thirst that was out there. And I think that was reflected throughout the course of the two days. And, um, and I was, so I was very pleased that so many came. And so many put their heart and soul into uh, into conversation, not about the past or complaining about the present, but about asking what's the future going to look like. Yeah, I, I think what you just said is very important. There, there was not a gripe two days. There, there was a very very positive energy. There was a lot of uh, really good feeling of moving forward. Mark, you've been involved with this from the beginning. Um, from the lay perspective, you you have a unique perspective of um, congregational life in Canada and the United States for the uh, Union for Reform Judaism North American Board. Um, what was 
you worked very hard. What was your takeaway when you got on that plane and went back home? Of course, I got in the car and drove home, but <laughs> um, we, we were trying to, and I think we accomplished it, to, to uh, dive deeply into three major themes that uh, Tracy and I had, had uh, worked through with the committee that was planning it, the Israel, Jewish people that in Zionism, whole question of Tikkun Olam, social action, and uh, Jewish theology, ritual and practice. And we wanted to uh, address what were the challenges of those three themes that we as Reformed Jews in North America are facing, and what's the reform, what's the reform movement facing with respect to those challenges. And we wanted to really give as great a definition for that as we could. And so the answer to your question is when I came back, came, uh, when I left the conference, uh, as I think probably true for Tracy Bennett and, and uh, Jerry, that we all felt that we had, in a, in a large way, accomplished that we had we had actually had very deep discussions on what those challenges were were that were facing us and then when we get into a discussion as to the next steps we'll talk about um, how we evolved from from what we did at the conference to what we plan to do going forward so we really were giving people the 300 so people that came uh, mostly professionals and, and several leaders an opportunity to come together who had these same similar concerns, shared concerns about these various themes, these issues. And we had the opportunity to really delve deeply and discuss them among ourselves and have some very penetrating discussion uh, presentations by some very notable people as well within the movement. Tracy, I, I know you work extremely hard putting this together and, um, uh, and thank you again publicly for all, all your hard work and especially the, the little Oreo things uh, at the break. I really appreciate that. Um, you were on the ground floor with, with, uh, with Rabbi Hirsch. What do you, what do you look, what are you looking for moving forward now? So as Mark explained, we were really committed to focusing on very specific themes. And so now the work ahead is after we've elevated what the challenges are, what the issues are that need to be addressed, we need to get the work started to actually address them. And so we'll, um, we have working groups that are already set. The leadership teams have already identified themselves. We've gone through a very democratic process of um, engaging people to become the leaders of these teams. And so uh, these leaders are getting ready to uh, start meeting and start assessing how do they take those challenges the issues that were addressed and um, that were raised there and start focusing on uh, the work ahead so some of the deliverables are things like webinars how do we extend this conversation from the 300 people who are in the room to the thousands of people of clergy professionals within the reform movement lay leaders laity so that they are part of this conversation so that they're fully engaged in it um, and then also other deliverables, you know, specific, you know, targeted actions to start addressing some of the challenges. If I'm not mistaken, um, the video, there are videos available of the, of the major speeches. Um, and if somebody who is not able to be there, who for some reason may not have even been aware of this, but say, gee, I really would like to sort of like, tune in and watch some of these videos to get a sense of it. 
Are these videos available to everyone, uh, non-people who didn't attend the conference? And if so, how do they do that? How do they get it? If you go to rechargingreform.com, um, on the top left, it says watch. I believe that that's the, uh, the menu item, watch. And so you can watch all of the videos. You can watch them. You can select from among the plenums of which topics you want to watch. The workshops are not available. Those were really um, more private affairs. So that way people could feel that they had the, the freedom to express their views without being on record. Um, and uh, it's my intention that during August, I'll work on uh, creating an adult education um, program from these plenums so that people can engage with them in the videos in small clips and have some of the conversations in their own communities. Yeah, I think it's very important for people to, who were not there to understand that the, the concluding act, so to speak, where the, the, the heads of the three major reform Jewish um, organizations, the uh, rabbinical organization, CCAR, the College Institute, and the URJ, and those speeches are available. Uh, and again, um, the adult education possibilities here are endless. And for those of you who may want to look at these videos, so I, I really urge you to do that because you, you're going to get a lot of the immediacy and some of the key notes that these leaders um, brought, especially some of the speeches um, that were part of the two days. Jerry, when you got back and you led a workshop or co-led a workshop, I think on Wednesday afternoon, if I'm not mistaken, you went back to Mainland Reform, a major synagogue here in the Philadelphia area, um, one that I know somewhat. What, what was what was the, the the take on the part of how how did you get that information that you gleaned from these two days? How did the people in Mainland Reform get that information? And what was their reaction? Well, I, I think you cannot convey everything that took place in those two days in some sort of board Devar Torah. This is, as I think we've heard from Bennett and Mark and Tracy, this is an ongoing process. And right, right. Uh, I was also very fortunate to have two lay people with me at the conference, which I think um, fortunately leverages a lot of additional buy-in. So I think that, and then there's the other piece, of course, which is working with my colleagues and what does that mean for the work that we're doing um, on the ground? So for instance, I had a conversation with the director of our religious school, who's a colleague, Rabbi Kevin Kleiman, about how do we teach Israel in our religious school? What are our priorities? What are we teaching in which grades? So I think there is a tremendous amount to unpack. And so far, I would say every one has been very receptive to the ideas that I've brought back. And we will continue to see hopefully how that unfolds in lots of positive ways. And then, of course, how that interfaces with the continued work of the conference and the facilitators moving forward, as Tracy explained. Let me let me return to this the situation with Israel because you know this is posting in the middle of August. Already this summer, there's been just unbelievable stress, strain, trauma, demonstrations. You fill in the right word uh, of Israel. The entire first day of the conference was devoted to how do we as a liberal Jewish community relate to what's happening in Israel, the divisions, as Ami pointed out in his podcast the fracturing of some of the support 
We're seeing more of that fracturing and on the federal level in Congress, uh, in the United States. I would love to hear from each one of you. How do you, how do you see what happened at the conference being translated vis-a-vis Israel into this coming year? Rosh Hashanah is coming up. Many colleagues are going to preach on Israel. I'm I'm sure of it. Curriculums are being developed or non-developed. What's your reaction based upon the conference and your own personal feeling? How does the liberal Jewish community in North America move forward in teaching about Israel? Open question. Anybody want to jump in? I do. Go ahead, Mark. If you you, um, you watch Ami's keynote address where he really uh, drills into this question very deeply. Right. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. And, um, and the and the kind of work that Tracy and I were doing leading up to the conference in positioning the Israel Zionism peoplehood uh, theme into the conference, which was, as you noted, Richard, at the beginning of these uh, of this uh, session, uh, a major theme of the conference. Our approach, or at least for some of us is we wanted to try to understand or appreciate, get across the idea, this idea, that our relationship to Israel as Reformed Jews uh, needs to be an enduring part of our Jewish identity, as a key element in our identity for all times, regardless of the government of the day, regardless of what's happening politically in Israel at any given time. So that while for sure, What's happened in Israel just these this past few days uh, and yesterday's vote uh, in the Knesset and, and, and the stresses that are occurring, not only within Israel, but within the Jewish diaspora, um, need to be contextualized and put in uh, a, uh, a situation where we understand that we're all very upset and concerned, we as liberal Jews, to be sure, but overriding that is our deep love and, and connection to the state and people uh, and land of Israel. Because we have that connection and we want to build that connection and strengthen it among our movement and our people, that we're in a better position to actually be involved and, and take stands on what's, what's happening in Israel. One of the things that concerns me um, and I think concerns others is we have a, 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 wide, a large cohort of people who continually criticize Israel for what's happening. But uh, apart from that criticism, their ongoing daily connections to the state, to the, to the people in the land of Israel, isn't necessarily as sustainable as we would like it to be. And so one of the things that comes out of the conference is to understand why we're in that kind of space with, 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 with the number of people within our and what we can do about it. Do we, do we need to really redo an entire Israel curriculum for the religious, for the religious schools? Is it totally outmoded? Is it still based upon 1948 and the Yom Kippur War and the Six Day War? I, I, I'm just, I'll throw this out to you because this kind of like floated through the conference. We really need a whole new curriculum. That's something that Tracy's working on. <laughs> I think it's it's the right question. I don't know. Um, I, I, I certainly am not an authority to address, you know, the educational side of things. Maybe my colleagues here are are more prepared to answer that. Um, I, but I think I think there's a struggle educationally in general. Um, part of that struggle is the question of 
Um, is there enough time to cover the amount of material that needs to be covered in religious school? If there isn't enough time to cover uh, the material, then you know everything gets short shrift, including Israel, um, which means that you have to you know, put uh, this significant amount of information, significant amount of connection that you're trying to develop between your students, their families, and a country that is far away and a culture that is different um, over a really short time span. And, um, and with faculty who some maybe are prepared to do that and some really don't necessarily have the tools to do it. So I think, you know, in general, Educationally, there's a significant struggle. Um, and I think there are some great curricular pieces that do it. I don't think we have outmoded. I, I think for the most part, our religious schools really don't use outmoded curricula. I think our, our religious schools are really using some outstanding curricular pieces, but they have to make very difficult decisions with very limited time. Um, but then outside of our religious schools, we have the camping movements. Um, we have other ways to reach our families and uh, our children. And um, we need to make sure that we're using all of those um, the very best that we can. So that way uh, we're delivering the highest quality product to our families. Uh, I would just add, uh, first of all, there are two new curriculums that have been developed in, within the last year, uh, one by Artsa and one by Artsa Canada. Uh, the one by Artsa Canada is mostly for younger kids. Uh, and the one uh, by Artsa is for uh, high school kids and adults. Um, and as Tracy said, she's working on this uh, curriculum based on the, on the conference. So I think those pieces are there. But, but even more important than the curriculum is um, how we make Israel a real experience. How do we connect uh, not just the land of Israel, but the people of Israel with our, our congregants in the reform congregations in North America, um, how do how how do we um, help them to begin to have a sense that this is this is part of who they are, who we are? Um, that Hebrew is not just a a language of prayer, but it's the language of our people. It's the way in which we communicate with each other all over the world. So. Um, uh, and here, I, if I if I can just just digress a little bit, this came about because of a th the following thinking. In the in the in the 19th century, German Jews were coming to recognize two things: their young people didn't want anything to do with the. Judaism of their grandparents, and they wanted to be fully assimilated into the German community that at the time was welcoming them. And the leaders of the Jewish community, um, we'll call them the reformers, they gathered together a conference in Berlin to address this. And they said, we have to do something or we're going to lose the next generation. That's, in a sense, that was underlying an underlying theme of this conference and really an underlying theme of where we are in terms of Reform Judaism going forward. It, of course, it's about our relationship with Israel. Okay, but how do we not only create a curriculum, okay, 
But even more importantly, how do we make it part of the culture of our lives, of our families' lives, of our children's lives, and of our communities' lives? And that's going to be the real test for us going forward, in my estimation. Yeah. So, uh, Jerry, you know, you, you mentioned that you're working with a director of education at your synagogue. One of the speeches, I think, on the first day um, by this um, scholar, I think, formerly of Brandeis, who made a point, Ra- Rachel, right? Fish? It was spectacular. Fish? Yeah. If, if you, ha- those of you who are going to go to the, make sure you watch her talk. Um, because it really like lit up, uh, that particular section of the conference. But she also, she made some very, very startling and, and very important points, especially about the, our kids when they leave religious school, confirmation, post confirmation, graduate high school, and they go to college and all of a sudden they encounter, um, points of view regarding Israel that they may not have been encountered before, let's say in Wynwood, Pennsylvania, um, and are totally unprepared, totally unprepared. So you're the rabbi of a, of a major, co- how do, how do you begin? Cause I, I'm, I'm sure you've begun to th- think about this. How do you begin to restructure how we talk about this so that we can turn out kids who, when they go to Michigan or Stanford or GW or whatever, um, are better prepared to understand and talk about the state of Israel? This is a whole podcast, I think, in and of itself, this question just posed. I know, I'm, so I, I, I apologize, but I don't fair, apologize. Fair. I, mean, this is a, um, I think there's a couple things at play here. I think, first and foremost, it's really critical that our young people know that they are not alone. And I think that is part of what I am hopeful this conference will help us advance as part of the reform movement. It just feels like a very fractured voice. And so I would love to see the URA as a whole have the opportunity to embrace a diversity of opinions with, you know, respect and understanding, but also to say, These are the virtues and values that we hold near and dear as a movement. And that when our kids go off to Michigan or Vanderbilt or wherever they are going, that they know that there are other students who are coming from all parts of the country who have similar experiences and they may not see eye to eye, but they are in it together. So that's one piece of it. I think the other piece that is really hard that I know we all struggle with is especially for our young people, they just don't have any experience with Israel. And so to wait for birthright when you're 22, like it's then, then it's too late, right? Um, or we've, we've handed over the responsibility for that part of their education to whoever happens to be, be leading their birthright trip. Uh, so I would love to see a movement-wide opportunity to kind of shift that idea of birthright. And there's now this Yala scholarship, which I'm sure you're aware of, but that's if they go on a URJ trip, which is great, but not all of our kids go to camp. So how do we, how do we cast a wider net when our students are still in our, you know, grasp, so to speak, 
to be able to take them to say to them, here's an experience, a meaningful experience with Israel. You're not in a Bedouin tent drinking with your friends on birthright. You're going to historic sites, having these cultural opportunities, um, seeing politics operating on the ground in Israel, but they're doing it with people who are committed to Israel. And I think we can be, obviously, in this group, we all appreciate that we can be very committed Zionists and still understand that Israel as a modern state is an imperfect place. So I think that there's a lot of opportunity, but the educational piece, both in regards to history, and I think, Richie, you mentioned before about, you know, starting with 1948, it doesn't start with 1948. That when we read Parshat Lech Lecha, like, that's our first introduction to this sacred land for our people. And there are various points in times that we can visit history with them uh, in our classrooms and through programming while we have them, you know, on Sundays or during the week, as well as hopefully being able to consider literally being on the ground with them. One of the other things that emerged, uh, or I hopefully emerged, again, the, the final uh, program are the three heads of the three uh, organizations uh, that comprise the reform movement. What's the, what's the thinking about, and Jerry just alluded to this, What's the follow-up with the CCAR, the rabbinic organization, the College Institute, and the URJ? Um, was t- talk to me about with the plans that are emerging uh, to to bring the seeds that perhaps were planted at the conference and have them grow within those three entities. We, we've had conversations, uh, actually, even before the conference, we had conversations with the uh, three presenters, uh, with Rick and Hara and uh, Andrew, uh, leading into the conference and subsequent to the conference. Uh, uh, we've had some conversations uh, among ourselves about moving forward and also with, uh, we haven't had a conversation yet with Andrew, but prior to the conference, he was very enthusiastic and. Um, Strongly supportive of um, some kind of collaboration. We haven't really defined it yet, worked it out with the college. Same with Rick. We had a conversation subsequent to the conference with Rick. We haven't had an opportunity with Ari yet. So we're hoping um, that there will be um, a number of opportunities for us to uh, uh, work with work with the uh, with those three uh, organizations, with the three organizations of our movement. Um, and you know, we're just in early days yet. In an ideal world, Mark, what do you what do you want those what do you want those cooperations to be? What you know, blue sky. What what do you what do you what do you want that to be? What do you want to have happen with the CCAR, the college, and the union? Well, um, there's there's opportunities where the URJ has still some um, and different uh, venues where they have. Um, uh, forums for discussions and, and debates, and, and we're hoping that uh, we can be, uh, we can move some of what we've done into, into those forums as well. And some of the work that, that Tracy and, and I and others are, are now getting to plan, we're hoping that they will um, designate some people to be involved with us and, and, and be directly involved in our discussion. That's what we're hoping for. Um, 
But as I say, we're just in those discussions with them, so we're not sure just where it's going to actually happen. Uh, okay, I, I, Bennett. I mean, you, you're you've been involved, you know, not only in congregation land, but but also with the organization through the URJ. And what do you want to have happen with these organizations? Um, first, I hope that they will embrace what we are doing um, and see it not as a a threat to their institutions and to their agenda, but um, as a way of enhancing the agenda of the reform movement on each of the subjects that the conference addressed. Um, second, I, I hope they'll help to put wind in our sails and to say, um, you ought to take a look at the recharging group and see what they're doing, say that to congregations. Um, and, and you might even want to in, invite them to come in and, and to, uh, do some workshops with you. Uh, they have a curriculum that they're developing and we're, we want to, uh, we, we want to embrace all of that, that, uh, that will go a long way because uh, in truth, right now, each of those institutions, um, this is not the most important agenda item on their list of priorities. But just as an example, you know, today we're, we're looking at what happened in, at the Knesset and the entire, uh, the entire, um, institution of, uh, the Union for Reform Judaism and Artsa is focused solely on how are we going to address that issue going forward? Um, what advice do we give to our congregations? How do we help them to understand that despair is not an option and that we, um, we have to begin to, to now aggressively look forward? Um, and they have their own financial issues that they're facing and demographic issues that they're facing. So my hope is that this will, that they will embrace what we are doing and see it as a way of enhancing the work, um, that is so important throughout our entire uh, North American progressive liberal Jewish community. Do do you see a possibility, or is there a hope on the part of moving forward and the organizers and the planners who are moving forward to have uh, representatives of of the recharging group, as you called it, at the um, at the URJ 150th anniversary convention in December, or the CCR convention here in Philly in March, or um, various campuses, opportunities to speak at the campuses at the Hebrew Union College. Is that, is that part of the hope? Well, Mark, Mark and I have actually been in conversation with folks at the URJ about doing this. We have a, we actually have a conversation with one of the uh, lead programmers of the, the Washington December piece. And uh, our hope is that they will welcome us and give us an opportunity, if nothing else, an opportunity to be able to say to people, um, if you, you've heard about the recharging conference, come and talk with us. We'd like to talk with you about how you can develop recharging conferences in your own communities. And we think that that's important to do. Don't wait for the institutions to tell you what to do. Um, start now in the same way that we did. This was a grassroots effort. Um, and we need more of them throughout the country. 
So um, I want to raise one other thing before we start running out of time, because you just, I think one of you touched on it earlier, and the word hunger. Um, and this really probably emerges, not probably, this emerges out of uh, some of the conversations we had uh, at the conference in the theology, the last section on Thursday, uh, and I went to one of the breakouts on the theology section. And it also comes to me from our work at Jewish Sacred Aging, where, you know, I'm in touch with groups of older adults, which are, and remember, uh, it's close to 50% of our community are people over the age of 50. And there is uh, this hunger for mean a meaningful Jewish conversation about significant issues that touch people's lives. So whether you call it a hunger or not, I, I, and I, I think there is, where do you see the next stages of the recharging movement addressing this, this hunger, which I really do believe is present in our, in the, in, in our community? One of the things we identified at the conference um, through one of the plenums is that theology, spirituality, and practice are the conversations that need to be going forward, but they more than conversations because um, the the data is out there about uh, North American um, religion, North American um, North American religious practice is down. Spirituality, in many ways, um, uh, um, mindfulness, um, other practices are up. So there are ways for us to connect back to how um, people are connecting with something of meaning, um, whether they call theology or not. Uh, those are all opportunities for us. We shouldn't see them as threats. We shouldn't see them as um, as countering a Jewish practice. We should see them as uh, as really the opportunities that they are. Uh, but we maybe need to, to <laughs> uh, but maybe we need to change our delivery systems and um, really you know delve deep in order to figure out what that looks like. Uh, the other issue is practice. You know, um, we, we know that ritualized practice, uh, you know, it doesn't have to be ritualized in terms of, um, of, of, um, traditional, you know, religious practice, but ritualized as in, you know, the same things that you do over and over are things that have meaning. When we ritualize a child going to bed, you know, they know what to expect and they come to appreciate and value that time. It's an opportunity for us to look at Jewish life from that lens of when we've walked away from practice, then we, we've lost something. And so to identify how do we get back to that kind of practice um, is important. So let me, let me ask you this last easy softball question. In recharging Reform Judaism or recharging liberal Judaism, in your, in each of your perspectives and thought processes, how is important is it to talk about God? Uh, I, I, it's great. You took, mention the word God and everybody just shuts up. On the contrary, but let, let Jerry, you go ahead and I'll, I'll, I'll join in after. Thanks, Bennett. I, I think it is important to talk about God. I think just as we were taught at HUC, there are three pillars, right? There's God, Torah, and Israel. And I think part of what it means to be a liberal Jew is that 
not every single one of our congregants is going to feel deeply and passionately about all three pillars, but we know that that is okay. But as Tracy just said, we know that some of our congregants have this, or as you called it, Richie, you know, this hunger for that spirituality. And we're Jews and we call that God. So um, if people would like to use a different label, then okay. But I think that that's what makes us Jews is using that rubric, that framework to say, this is who we are. This is what we believe. This is what is meaningful to us. And as Reformed Jews, obviously, we take all of those approaches into consideration. And then we hopefully find a path that is most meaningful for us as a congregation or community, or maybe even on an individual level. But that is the framework that I believe we we create and grow from. Bennett? Um, when somebody asks me that question, I usually respond by saying, um, God really doesn't care whether you believe in God or not. God's got other things to be focusing on. The real question is, do you feel commanded? Do you feel an, that your life is an imperative to sacred living? And that uh, without it, uh, this world is in big trouble. So we have as a people, we have, we have a unique place in history which is that we bring the presence of the divine wherever we go, wherever we live. That's the real key. So it, the invitation to people, in my estimation, should not be let's talk about God. Well, let's really talk about what is the purpose and meaning of life. What, what, is your existence simply to plod along from day to day from the moment of your birth until the day that you die? Or is there really much more to the whole meaning of your life? And let's begin to focus on that. We have this incredible story. It's the most amazing story ever, uh, ever written in human history. It's a story of the Jewish people and its encounter with the divine. Let's talk about that. That's the, that to me is the, is the question. That, to me, is the way we can engage old people and young people. Uh, if we do that, uh, I think we've really got a shot at creating the next chapter of our people's story. Yeah. Mark, Tracy, anything? You're under no obligation, so I mean. <laughs> I do want to go back to one of your earlier questions. Earlier you had asked about um, you know, the work that we're doing and also the work what we're doing in relation to the, the movement. And um, one of the things I had the opportunity to announce at the conference was a, uh, a fellowship that we're launching, the Amplify Israel Rabbinic Fellowship. And um, we received so many applications for many more spots than we can offer. And uh, this is an opportunity for early career reform rabbis to strengthen their um, access to resources and knowledge about Israel so that they can amplify their voices around Israel. Uh, there's just no telling how significant the impact of having a cohort of early career rabbis who really feel that they have a voice around Israel um, is going to be. And um, that's, that's movement work. That's really important movement work. And um, we're just, uh, we're at the early stages right now. 
um, just a few weeks away from announcing our cohort. And uh, it's an exciting moment and uh, it'll be transformational. No, this was a great announcement at the conference too. Um, before we be, uh, before we end, and just said already three times, which is, you know, like when we get on the beam and say in conclusion, um, thank you. Uh, the conference is recharging reform Judaism. Has there been conversation with the other non-Orthodox communities uh, about bringing them into some of these conversations and dialogues? Um, Mark, have, have you, or, or uh, Tracy, you know? We haven't had any direct conversations. I, I, uh, I think some of us have probably had some conversations with, with people that we know, some of our colleagues and friends and that in the other movements uh, and talked about it, but we haven't had any no formal, no formal no, link. It's actually an interesting idea. And I think it's something Tracy and I always need to consider. I, yeah, well, just, you know, you have enough to do. Uh, so, uh, but it occurred to me it would be a natural affinity to, because as Tracy was alluding to before, and like you said, we all know the statistics. This really is a larger than just the reform movement. It's a, it is a larger concern about liberal Judaism and where it is vis-a-vis -vis all those three uh, uh, parts uh, that, that you know, Ami introduced in his keynote. And again, if you have a chance to watch these videos, really, I urge you to do so. I think you will learn a lot and uh, be inspired in many, many ways. Uh, Rabbi Bennett Miller, Rabbi Jerry Newberg, Rabbi Tracy Kaplowitz, Mark Anchin, I want to thank you very much for... Um, just joining us today and give, just giving us your impressions and hopes and some dreams about moving forward in this very, very exciting enterprise that all of you help create. So, um, Mazel Tov on that creation. And, uh, as with everything, let's see where it goes. And I hope a year from now we'll be able to sit down and say, look, look what has emerged, uh, in this transformational moment. So thank you very, very much. Uh, and for the rest of the summer, just stay safe, stay healthy, take care of yourself. And, um, um, and thanks well. for allowing us the opportunity to, to dialogue with you. We really no, the more the merrier, the more the merrier. Uh, to all of you, uh, again, thank you for joining us on today's edition of Seekers of Meaning, the podcast and TV arm of Jewish Sacred Aging. Again, I'm your host, Rabbi Richard Address. If you'd like to connect with us with ideas, suggestions, etc., just go to the website, jewishsacredaging.com, or email me at rabbiaddress at jewishsacredaging.com. And if you'd like to make a tax-free donation to help support our work, go to the website, scroll down to the conveniently located Donate button, click on that button, and just follow the prompts. And we are very, very gratefully grateful uh, for any of your and all of your support. Uh, to all of you, thank you very much. And before we leave, a shout out to our producer, Rabbi, uh, Rabbi Steve Lubetkin. We just made you a rabbi, Steve. Congratulations. Uh, you went through the parabinic program anyway, so what the heck. Um, but anyway, thank you. Because these podcasts are produced at the Lubetkin Media Studios in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. Thanks again to Steve. To all of you, thank you for joining us. I am your host, Rabbi Richard Address. And until we see each other again on the next Seekers of Meaning, Take care of yourself, stay safe, stay healthy, and be kind to one another. Shalom, todah.